0: When it comes to Mitsubishi four wheel drive drag racing records, we've seen plenty of earlier model Evos in the 8s and even a handful now in the 7s. But the Evo 10 hasn't really been adopted as a common drag racing platform. Despite this, the English racing built Evo 10 behind me currently holds the world record with an 827 at 174 mile an hour. We're here with Miles from English Racing, driver of this Evo 10, to find out what makes this car so quick.
1: Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech filled interviews with some of the industry's most well known figures and presented it in podcast format for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge.
0: So 8.27 you're miles ahead of the competition at this point. The Evo 10, for a start, I want to just talk about the differences between the earlier CT9A chassis and weight is one of the big factors, it's a a physically bigger chassis and it's heavier, how much of an issue is that and what have you done to get weight out of this car?
2: Yeah so when we first started racing this car, it was a full weight street car, full interior, factory gas tank, everything and like we just broke everything you could imagine drivetrain wise transmissions differentials uh, transfer case like everything just broke and it was a struggle to get the car to run into the nines we finally did it but it was like it wasn't easy so we just took the approach of we need to get weight out of this thing so we got weight out of it and it just everything just started dropping I mean we we have carbon doors and the insides no windows in it. it's all still factory glass but we we've gotten rid of a lot of weight I think the car with me and it's 2820
0: with driver that's a good effort but safe to say it's still a, a fair bit heavier than a
2: lightweighted ct 9 It's definitely a pig, it's 350 pounds heavier than our 7 second Evo 8 so it's it's a pig compared to that car for sure but this car still kind of looks street car-ish, like still has all factory windows so we could definitely probably pull 50 to 100 pounds in that. If the driver lost weight, we could get some weight out of there too. I have a heavy seat in it, it's just a comfortable seat than the Kirky so you know, there's definitely parts. If once we if we did like lightweight subframes and stuff, this has all factory subframes, and so we started getting some, getting a little more into it. You know, I think 200 pounds is definitely doable. Uh, the eight has a lot of titanium hardware on it that helped weight everywhere, so that one will take a bit to get to. Right now, we're we're not quite there. We're just trying to make a little more
0: power to go faster right now. Hit it with a bigger hammer. Yeah. Now that comes down to the next part I wanted to talk about. The 4B11 engine, while it is technologically a far more advanced engine than the 4G63 that we all know and love as Mitzi people, uh, there are some challenges when it comes to making this sort of power you need to run 174 mile an hour. The main one, of course, is that they've gone from a cast iron block, which is reasonably strong but heavy, to a lighter weight aluminium block, which has strength issues. So, can we start by talking about what you've done to that? block to make the sort of power that you're making now
2: yeah so right now in this car it's a golden eagle sleeved uh 4b11 um i believe it's 87 mil bore it's nothing crazy uh stock stroke crank Um, but in the initial when we started making a lot of power we started bending aluminum rods and you know we we went to our rod manufacturer at that time uh was we we switched to grp and they're like your issue is going to be You know, you need more weight on the rod because it was what they call, I guess, a window rod. It's not a solid beam. And so they're like, we're like, all right, can you make us those rods? He's like, no, I won't make them. I go, well, why not? He said that the housing bore is too big on the 4B11 journals. So then we decided to go to approach of before we have a custom crank made, let's see if it works first. So we actually cut down the factory crank to a smaller rod journal and then had the rods made to fit that. The rods actually won't fit in the bore, anything less than 87-mil bore. So it has to be 87 or bigger for our our rotating assembly combo. After that, we really didn't have any issues with rods bending or rods breaking. Then we started having to work with, you know, I believe we're probably one of the big pioneers in the 4B11 to figure out how to keep it all together and obviously help with companies like GRP with rods and then valve train stuff from GSC. We kind of came to a good combo that now we we have... uh, I think 19 passes on this motor over 165 miles an hour, and everything is still
0: really good. Now I just want to come back to that. So you've basically said that you've machined down the diameter of the connecting rod journals on the factory crank just to test that test smaller that, yeah. smaller crank journal. Uh, once you've proven that that was, that was successful, did you then go and have a custom billet crank made or have you just settled on using the factory crank?
2: <clears throat> right now we actually spend quite a bit of money cutting down a factory crank. We have it re-nitrated and everything done so there it's actually like when we get it, it's like a factory crank it seems like in the end. We haven't gotten to a billet uh, crank yet. There's talk about it, um, but we haven't got there yet.
0: Um. I guess at the end of the day if what you're doing is working, then there's no reason to change it. I just want to touch on that as well. You just mentioned the the fact that you've had the crank nitrided and and that's something that probably is easy to overlook is that there is a surface, normally an induction hardening on the factory crankshafts, so it gives a very hard surface which is great for the journals because it prevents wear. So as soon as you machine that journal down to a smaller size, you machine through that hardening so that nitriding is used to to uh, basically recover that hardened surface. Exactly. Yeah, that's that. From what I understand, that's how it is. Um, we send it to a company called Tech, and
2: they uh, they're in the USA, and they, they they do the cutting for us, and they renitrate it and do everything there. So.
0: all right, let's move into the cylinder head Now, the other advantage for the four B eleven is the uh, variable cam control. I mean, they did have that, of course, on the uh, the intake of the Evo nine as well. But are you still retaining that? It's less of an issue for drag racing because we generally work across a narrow or a rev range, but are you still using the variable cam control?
2: We use it on the on the intake only, not the exhaust. The exhaust, I I remember, it just when you add all that seat pressure, there's not enough in there, and it never seems to work. So we basically zero out the exhaust, but we do use all of the MIVEC on the intake. We use that hardcore.
0: Now the other aspect when you're using MyVec or variable cam control on uh, an engine that's designed to make massive power at massive RPM is often the ability to swing that cam or move it, advance it and retard it, limits your cam profile. So is that a balancing act with what you've got there? You've mentioned GSC cams.
2: Yeah so we have have GSC S3s in this car and um, they are their biggest cam they make for an Evo 10 right now and honestly these motors I've... Might get a lot of hate from this. I feel like these motors make more power than a 4G. When you put a smaller turbo on them, factory motors like you know we make 450, 500 horse on stock motor, stock cams, no problem. Evo eights, you got to put cams in them before they do anything. So I do believe they are probably have eight to ten percent increase over a 4G. Once you get to the big power stuff, they all kind of seem to get around the same. Um, I do believe that the design and the way no rockers, you don't have a rocker geometry issue. It's it's cam over bucket. That's a better design in general. Um, And, uh, you know, the GTRs have the same. Two JZs have the same design. So I I like the head design better. I feel like it's more efficient in that side. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we just have a set of S3s in there. They're off the shelf. And... um, Really, uh,
0: obviously, just doing the job there. I I think it's probably also worth mentioning there. You've you've sort of said about the flow through the four G sixty three head versus the four B eleven, and the four B eleven is a much more modern design. That four G sixty three engine, while we'd seen uh, advances, it's 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 a pretty pretty old engine, so it's it's not not to be unexpected really. Okay, so let's talk about the turbo system on it. Obviously, that's really the key there uh, to to making the airflow. So, what have you got on it? So.
2: Uh, The records pass was set on a 67.85. Now we have a 76.85. The 67, you know, this thing creeps, unfortunately. So we use a lot of throttle control, which you can talk about that later. But right now, the minimum boost it runs is about 53 or four pounds, even with twin gates. Um, And uh, so we use a lot of throttle to control it off the launch to keep to keep the the boost down.
0: So you're you're talking there, you can't run below 53 PSI, four wheel drive drag car, you're never going to be able to launch with that amount of boost and that amount of power. So you're actually closing the drive by wire throttle to essentially reduce the the flow into the engine?
2: Yeah so we have a table that's boost versus vehicle speed and throttle position. So we can set the throttle position that if it starts getting, let's say Luke has it set right now, Lucas has it set to where if it gets to over 40 pounds, it'll it'll close the throttle like 70% Seventy percent, and it won't allow the car to see more than forty pounds up until like sixty miles an hour, and it'll keep the throttle there, and it does really good um, because that's what we fought on the Evo Eight before. Is like that car runs sixty pounds minimum on on um, on the seventy six eighty five, which is what we put on this now seventy six eighty five, and so we use a lot of there's a lot of control there, and luckily we have uh, we have a development package on this car. With, uh, for John Reed so anything that Lucas comes up with and thinks about, he can add in at any time and Luke thinks of a lot of crazy stuff.
0: I'll just come back to that for those who aren't aware. So the car's running a Motec M150 yep. ECU with what they refer to as a development package and that allows you through John Reed Racing who's who's riding the custom firmware, basically you can modify the firmware or change the way the ECU works. So if you think up a, a crazy function that you want to try, maybe some kind of boost control, then yep. John Reed can modify the way that ECU works. So quite un- unusual and a little bit Unique in the aftermarket ECU yes. world, there. That's
2: what sets the M1 above everything else, I believe.
0: We haven't actually touched on power yeah. yet, so power and boost when she's all in on the dyno. What are you running?
2: Yeah, I mean, all we did was throw it on the dyno right before we came here, and at 55 pounds, it made 1170 and like 700 or 680 foot-pounds of torque. And uh, that we did like two pulls on it, and we're like, okay, we can work with that at the track because we have enough data to know what we need RPM wise to launch, how much boost, etc. cetera. So uh, 1170 and I think 680 foot pounds of torque is what it made. It's made, we had an 83 on it many years ago and it made like 1199, but our motor program back then wasn't quite as good as it is now. And we would, I mean, that car, that turbo's a lot laggier and we were fighting keeping the thing spooled up in between shifts and stuff when now this one actually spools really good compared to that and it's not quite the 67, but it's a good balance, and that's. I
0: think that's something that's really important to mention. There is when you're trying to make power, and you need power to run the ETs and the mile and out. But it is always a balancing act there, and it's not just a case of throwing on the biggest turbo you can find and finding that you don't get full boost until. 7, seven and a half, eight thousand RPM, you've got to have that usable power band so sometimes less is more there but uh, certainly a big step up over the 67 millimeter turbo, yeah? Yeah, yeah because like
2: the 67 were, or the 67 were basically, the most boost we'd be able to get out, it's like 53 or 4 pounds and then it's like quite a bit over 1 to 1 back pressure. This one at 55 pounds is like 15, 20 pounds under 1 to 1 back pressure so we have I mean, I know within a couple pounds, usually that number changes a lot, but we should have, I mean, we ran the Evo 8 with the same turbo up to 70 pounds and we were still under one to one there. So I'm hoping that we can get a little bit of a ways, but we've also never been at that power level with this car. So it is like we all know it's, it's, it's a learning curve. So we're at, we're going to add another 150, 200 horsepower. So we'll, we'll be able to find out how good our motors really are now. So,
0: A couple of things I just want to go back and unpack there. So you just talked about the, the ratio between your boost pressure and the inlet manifold, which is all most people ever think about. But... The other aspect that's easy to overlook is you've also got exhaust back pressure wow. and that ratio there you've mentioned, the one to one, that's kind of uh, a really sweet spot yeah. when it comes to drag racing. Yeah. If you can get to a situation where your back pressure is below your boost pressure, the engine really starts to respond and we yeah. sort of almost see exponential increases in power. It also allows you to run a bigger cam, so everything just starts to, to really ramp up whereas on a street car we may see the exhaust pressure uh, as much as double the boost yeah. pressure so it's a bit Big difference there. Yeah. Now we've talked about the power. I want to also talk about the drivetrain because that's another real issue with uh, the the factory Mitsubishi yeah. setup. So what have you done there to keep it reliable?
2: So right now we have a uh, Graph five speed dog box. Um, they were the first ones. I mean they're who we've been working with since like 2014. Same transmission in my Honda five speed dog box built by them. Um, so we've got that. We have a Shep transfer case in it, and we have a carbon driveshaft shop a drive line. And then the rear, we have a 3000 GT rear diff that we just did. And so that one's like, I think 30% bigger than an Evo 8 diff, because that's what was in it. Uh, The factory 4B11 diffs have AYC and everything back there, and those things are all cast aluminum on the outside, and they seem to break really easy. I got street car guys who break those way too easy. So we went to the Evo 8 diff as soon as we could, which we also ditched the AYC in that too. Um, and then as far as uh, drive shaft shaft rear axles, front axles are, are factory, I believe, right now. Usually breaking those, you got to break something in the train to take those out. So uh, one thing we do have is this car still has a factory ACD transfer case in it.
0: So for those who aren't aware, ACD, Active Center Differential, so this controls the torque split front to rear?
2: Correct, yes, yeah. And so there's two ways we could have gone about it. We went with a mechanical uh, ACD pump that we have come up with in-house that's really we just, the more pressure we run, the more 50-50 lock it becomes. Uh, It took us a long time to figure out the pressure of what 50-50 was and where not to run it because more 50-50 makes it much more difficult to launch an all-wheel drive car. So really it's... I don't have a true number what it is, but it's more front wheel drive than rear wheel drive right now. And uh, we, when we put the rear diff in it, we knew that we could hit it harder, so we added more pressure. Um, so we use that now. Obviously, the ideal way would be is now that we have an M one in it, it has fully, it has the ability to do uh, active center ACD control via the ECU, which we've thought about going back to that. But right now, we kind of have a proven combo that works. So, we don't want to reinvent that wheel. But ideally, like we all know, when you have an ECU control everything, usually it's a little better. So, something like that is maybe something in the future we're going to do.
0: So, at the moment, am I assuming there correctly that you're actually running a fixed split right the way down the drag strip? Whereas potentially with a Motec, you could vary the split and uh, the amount of drive as you go down the strip.
2: We could. We literally could. I mean, we've thought about of having it, like, locked and then unlocked throughout down the track. You know, I know the GTR, some of them will go, now they have full control. Some of the guys will go, like, you know, full rear-wheel drive three-quarters of the way down the track. You know, it changes. So we could do that, but right now it seems to work really good, and we're just kind of keeping it like that.
0: Uh, Just coming back to that uh, dog engagement 5-speed gearbox as well, so the dog engagement box is great for a drag application because you can clutchless shift, you don't need to back off the throttle, but there's a little bit of intervention there required from the ECU to allow that, so can you talk us through how that system works?
2: Yeah so right now we actually have a string gauge on the shift knob itself. When that senses X amount of pressure, it it, uh, activates an ignition cut. And it just goes right into the right into the next gear. So obviously, above a certain RPM, it activates that, and I believe above a certain speed, it'll it'll let it activate that too. And
0: the gearbox is still H pattern shifted. H pattern shifted, yeah.
2: Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com/free and start developing your own skills today.
0: Alright so you've gone 8.27 at the moment, uh, I'm assuming you're hoping to go a little bit faster, if the stars all align this weekend at TX2K, where do you think this could end up? I mean yeah, I mean the ultimate
2: goal right now is, I mean the Evo 8.9s in the USA just ran 7s last year, uh, we currently have that record, I think we would we would love to have the first 4B11 in the 7s. Um, we know how difficult it is to run that, we know how difficult it is to get there, but um, Yeah, I mean, I'd love to run the 7 Really, I just want to get used to this car again Uh, Because, of course, my first pass yesterday, I thought it was the Integra So I clutch shifted all the way down, and I was like, what am I doing? I don't need to do that So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to improve on that I have a feeling that the mile an hour is going to go more, no matter what Uh, That's just going to happen Um, Hopefully we can get the
0: slipper working perfect again. So I don't think we we touched on that part. Um, Actually yep that's a great point. Let's talk about the slipper because this is kind of the dirty little secret for our four wheel drive drag cars and getting the car to launch cleanly Really requires the driver to slip the clutch yeah. to get the car to move off the line without breaking into massive amounts of wheel yeah. spin. And of course, for the driver to do that consistently, run after run, incredibly difficult. Very difficult. So, tell us how you're doing this. Yeah, so basically, we have a Magnus clutch slipper that has a solenoid that's
2: activated that once it goes above X percentage, it activates the solenoid that slips this clutch. I mean, sometimes you're like is this clutch ever going to come out because of how slow it is and which is how it was yesterday it only did like a one five sixty foot but like this clutch like i felt like it took way too long but it's what keeps the 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 consistency and it coming out smooth one of the biggest problems with all-wheel drive cars is when you they come out they let the clutch out too much it's like it just looks like it's hopping back and forth as it goes and that is the very fine line of getting that clutch slip perfect and and if you have maybe a shorter first gear that would be much easier than a very tall first gear and this has kind of a tall first gear to go like 65 almost 70 miles an hour in first gear so we use the slipper quite quite a lot and we have a Exedy triple carbon clutch in it that loves to get slipped
0: so. That's a nice advantage with the carbon clutch is that they do take a lot more heat and abuse than a, a conventional clutch and I think it's also worth mentioning here that slipping the clutch is, is also a key to getting uh, reliability out of the drivetrain, making sure you're not going to be busting components every pass. All right, look Miles, it's been great to chat. Yeah. We uh, look forward to seeing that car go faster yeah. this weekend and hopefully. hopefully a seven in the not too distant future. Yeah. Thanks for the chat. Yeah thank you, thanks for being here again.
1: If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel so make sure you subscribe. It's a one stop shop when it comes to automotive education that's perfect if you want to learn how to make your car go faster, stop quicker and handle better.